Hi, this is James Hunt. Today's podcast, we're going to talk about Paul Harris, the founder of Rotary International. I know that you know a lot about Paul Harris. You know that he was our founder. You know that he was an attorney. You know we have a recognition named after him, Paul Harris Fellow. But who was Paul Harris the man? Paul Harris was born on April 19th, 1868 in Wisconsin. His father was a businessman, but not a very successful businessman. We know that Paul's grandfather helped out his father, gave him finances to start a pharmacy, and it didn't wasn't very successful, and to the point it became a hardship that they simply could not support their children. So they took Paul and his brother to the grandparents. They did keep a baby sister and had the grandparents raise them in Wallaford, Vermont. Well, there in Vermont, we could say that Paul was a bit of a mischievous young young lad, like many. Uh, He did things like he would skip school, he'd climb out of the windows at night, and while his grandparents were sleeping, he would do things like set bent pins on chapel pews, and usual mischievous type of things. It carried on into high school, where he went uh, to the Black River Academy and he was expelled. He went to the Vermont Military Academy and the University of Vermont. And he had problems there too. And somehow he ended up at um, Princeton. Don't know how, but he did. And uh, there, while while he was there, he received word that his grandfather had died. This was devastating to Paul because he worshiped his grandfather. He looked up to him as a, as a very successful businessman of how he conducted his business with other people, how ethical he was, how many friends he had made in the small town that they were in. So after that school year, he went back home to Vermont and he lived with his grandmother. Um, he took a job as an office boy, as a marble in a marble company for a dollar a day. And after a year, his grandmother said, you know, you should be going to law school. So he ended up going out to Iowa to attend the University of Iowa Law School. And along the way, he stopped in Chicago. And he was fascinated by this bustling city. Harris graduated from law school in 1891. And at the commencement ceremony, the keynote speaker urged the graduates to take five years to go five years to go out to small towns, make a fool of themselves before settling down in the city of their choice uh, to build a career. And that's exactly what Paul did. He made a quest and made a promise to himself that he was going to travel the world for five years. He started off in San Francisco. He was a reporter for the San Francisco Chronicle. Then he went and explored Yosemite Valley. He ended up in Fresno, California, where he was a raisin packer. Then down to Los Angeles, where he was a teacher at the Los Angeles Business College. And then off to Colorado, where he was in Plattsville, Colorado, as a cowboy on a ranch. He climbed Pikes Peak. And then to Denver, where he was an actor at the old 15th Street Theater and a reporter for the Rocky Mountain News. He then went back to Chicago in 1893 to attend the World's Fair and then off to Washington, D.C. to see Grover Cleveland's inauguration in a temporary stint at the Washington Star. 
then down to New Orleans, where he was an orange picker, and he saved a little girl from a hurricane. Over to Jacksonville, Florida, where he was a night clerk at the James, the best tourist hotel in the city, and then a cattleman on a ship to England, where he traveled. And so he traveled the world and taking odd jobs along the way to pay for his travels. On the 22nd, 27th of February, 1896, at the age of 27, Harris settled in Chicago and built a law practice. He represented victims of bankruptcy and embezzlement, and it was a good focus at that time in a lawless frontier town filled with fraud. But he found it difficult to settle down. He dined at ethnic eateries every night and he, to learn about different cultures, and he attended churches of different religions every week. One day in the fall of 1900, Harris had dinner at attorney Bob Frank's house in a well-off neighborhood on the Chicago North Side. And they went on a walk through the area and stopped at shops along the way. Harris was impressed by how Frank had made friends with the businessmen in his neighborhood. It reminded him of him growing up in New England. It reminded him of how his grandfather had done business with the small merchants in their town. So Harris told Sylvester Shiley, this is in 1900, who was a client and a coal dealer from a small town in Indiana about his idea for a club. It would include members, each from a different profession, who would gather for friendship and mutual cooperation. They could join only if another member vouched for them. So what we're gonna have is somebody, only one person from each profession, and we're gonna do business with each other, and we're gonna be friends, and the only way you can be in this club is somebody has to invite you in. So over the next five years, the idea began to take hold. Harris and Shiley talked it over with Gus Lauer, a mutual client and mining engineer who offered to hold the organization meeting in his office. And Lauer invited his friend Hiram Shorey, another New Englander, and a merchant tailor. So the famous night, February 23rd, 1905, they met in room 711, 123 Dearborn Street in a building called the Unity Building. Later, this was torn down, and but this room 711 has been preserved. If you ever go to Rotary International Headquarters in Evanston, you'll see the same desks and the books and the lights and the clocks and everything is on the wall that where they met that first time. Fascinating. If you get that chance, go visit room 711 at Rotary International Headquarters. Harris hosted the next meeting when they had the fifth member, Henry Ruggles, join them. Now, not many people know much about Harry. I'm going to do a complete uh, podcast on Harry another time. As far as I'm concerned, of all of these five, he was the one that really made Rotary grow. And there's a story there to be told about that. The other part is remember that out of those four, which you don't hear too much about, um, Hiram Shorey and, and Gus Lauer actually dropped out of Rotary within a little over a year of being members. 
at the third meeting, now we have 15 members. And this meeting was hosted by Shiley. And there they started to establish some of the long-term uh, traditions, things like uh, fine, paying fines uh, for the fun of it, uh, kidding people about it. The other part was that they wanted to everyone to address each other by the first name. There was no titles. No one was to ever be called doctor or whatever your title was. It was always by the first name. And this was very unusual at that time. Also at that third meeting, they decided it was time to name the club. What are we going to name it? Well, the names that were thrown out were such things as Round Table Club because they met at a round table. Or how about the Trade and Talk Club? Um, because, they, remember, they had individuals who were brought in. The purpose originally was to talk to each other, to become friends, and to do trade back and forth. But then the name, how about Rotary? Think of that, Rotary. Well, how did they come up with the name Rotary? Well, you got to remember what they were doing was in these early meetings that they were rotating between uh, each club member's office. Later, um, they, I think within six months, they had to uh, end up going to restaurants to have their meetings because the club grew so fast and became so large. But the name stuck, Rotary. Now, Shiley was the club's first president. And Harris was elected to be the third club president in 1907. Harris asked Manuel Munoz who was going to make a trip to San Francisco to see whether the people there were interested in forming a club. And Munoz mentioned the idea of Homer Wood, who uh, ran with it, leading to the formation of the second Rotary Club in 1908, San Francisco. In 1909, the Rotary Club of New York was established, making Rotary a national movement. So we had our third club, 1909, which was New York. By now... Rotary was beginning to focus on good deeds. Um, the Rotary One Club in Chicago, their first project was a public restroom in downtown Chicago, and the purpose of that was to keep people downtown so they wouldn't leave, that they would shop. And then the second project that they had was they bought a horse and buggy for a physician so that he could make his rounds and be able to take care of his patients. In 1910, Harris ripped his jacket while hiking with the Chicago Prairie Club, a wilderness group of which he was a charter member. Gene Thompson, also on the hike, offered to mend it. Three months later, the two married. They named their home Conley Bank after the street in Edinburgh, Scotland, where Gene grew up. And as another part of Rotary trivia, when they went to number the districts around the world, they started with the district in Edinburgh, and made that the first number of this in the district numbering and went around from there. Also, the Conley Bank House is now open to the public. You can go again if you want to make a visit to Chicago, Evanston area, you can visit and go in their home. That year, also, that they were married, the National Association of Rotary Clubs was formed and Harris became the first president. In 1912, Harris retired, exhausted. He retreated from the public eye for nearly 15 years. 
So another part of history we don't hear much about. So he forms Rotary in 1905, and by 1912, he steps back from Rotary exhausted. General Secretary Chesley R. Perry said he suffered a serious physical breakdown. Harris described what happened as a heart attack. His poor health, his poor health continued throughout his life, including another heart attack and a nervous breakdown. When he recovered, Harris returned to his legal work. He avoided Rotary's convention, sending messages to be read in his place. In 1926, Harris reemerged the Rotarian, which had been launched in 1911 to publish an article by Harris on Rotary, printed his autobiography, in part to dispel rumors about where he had been all these years. And the final installment, published November of that year, showed the Harrises in Bermuda, where he made his first trip visit to a Rotary Club on a foreign soil since the organization's founding. In May 1928, they sailed from Montreal to Great Britain on what would be the first of several whirlwind tours of Rotary Clubs in other countries. Harris had a heart attack in 1929, but surprised everyone when he showed up at the 1930 RI convention, his first convention appearance since 1912. He set a sail again in 1932. He, he traveled to The Hague as a delegate of a law congress, and he visited Rotarians in such places as Helsinki, Finland, and Scott Holmes, Sweden. And that year, as the Nazi party was gaining power in Germany, Harris planted his first tree of friendship on the European soil in Berlin. At the St. Louis Convention in 1943, Paul Harris addressed the convention, stating, Rotary has stood the test of fire and blood and manifestly is destined to endure. After finishing his travels, Harris continued addressing convention, conventions, contributing to the Rotarian, writing books about his life. After a long illness, Paul Harris died January 27, 1947. An outpour of donations to the Rotary Foundation inspired the creation of the Paul Harris Memorial Fund to fortify the foundation. That year, the foundation launched the forerunner to the Ambassadorial Scholarship Program, calling the students Paul Harris Fellows. In 1957, the foundation trustees created the Paul Harris Fellow Recognition to honor donors of $1,000. To date, more than a million fellows have been recognized. Thank you. This is Paul Harris, your man. Until we meet again, happy trails to you.